Let me talk you through the two most emotional, stressful months of my sales career. It's no big deal to call a CTO and tell I want to talk. You cannot stand on the sideline and basically wait until the dice rolls itself. It's never going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be on the record or off the record. It's almost like playing with cards, this job. Like, it's like you, you get given a hand of cards and like you have to do the best with what, what you have. Someone might have been watching, watching down on me. Me and Jack going into this, when, when he originally told me exactly the same, like, oh, you know, Jack, I've got this idea, you know, what about this? I just, my first thought was, my God, if no, I don't even care if anyone, like, listens to this, you know, if I take one key takeaway from every recording, I'll be such a better rap. This is No Big Deal, the sales podcast. Hey, welcome back to another new episode of the No Big Deal podcast hosted by Jack Nico and Jack Fox. This week, we're really excited to have on Anne-Marie, the Director of Sales at Tynes. Now, Tynes are a cybersecurity SaaS provider based out in Dublin, Ireland. Previously to working at Tynes, Anne-Marie was one of the first sales reps in a mirror at DocuSign. <laughs> DocuSign then were nowhere near as well-known as the brand they are today for sales reps. Uh, she's also worked at Plural Site, where she joined in 2018, where they IPO'd that year. And then she's gone on to Tynes, where she's been the first sales rep, grown the company from Series A to Series B, and now manages a sales team there. Thanks so much for coming on, Amory. Data. Is there anything that you'd add to that? Any other impressive piece or anything that, anything else that you're proud of in your career that's relevant that we that we highlight? Yeah, I suppose, um, you know, I enjoy joining early stage companies and helping to scale their sales teams. It's what I what I enjoy most. I've done it now at a couple of, of different companies um, from, you know, bringing in the tooling and building out the process to hiring teams and just watching them scale and reach milestones for the companies. It's it's uh, really exciting work. And yeah, it's Every single day is different, so that's what I enjoy most. Sounds like our old uh, Messiah, Ollie Sharp, similar uh, similar passion of his. Well, um, okay, I'll, we'll jump straight into it, and we're going to talk about the deal. But the question I like to ask at the start, especially with this deal, and, and not just related to, to times, but perhaps tying into what you just said there about early-stage companies and initial growth and what it means to them, can you tell us a little bit about what it meant once you closed this deal, what it meant to you? as a person what it did for you perhaps maybe your confidence or your career or maybe your personal life but is there anything in particular that's memorable about this deal in particular once it closed that it perhaps had an impact on you personally definitely so I think the the main one was just the confidence right so close this deal um mid-covid the depths of of lockdown in a I'd say we were probably 10 20 people in the company at that stage and there wasn't you know um deals come and flowing through every single day every single uh, deal every single opportunity was was hard work to get it across the line and this one was really uh, monumental for the company in terms of just confidence for myself confidence for the company too and taking us to that next step and you know it was it was a deal that we were proud to share with investors when we went to to do the next round and it was just a great story for the company so more than everything, I mean, you know, we often talk in sales, the commission checks are always great, but this one was just a real like confidence base of like, yeah, we're really on to something here if we can close 
this logo and, and this size of a deal at, at this stage of the company. Was there a psyche? Was there a psyche change with once you landed, you know, the big deal with the types of companies that you could now target? Um, yes, in a sense. I think the the main psychic and kind of like, you know, confidence came from like us holding our ground. And I'll talk a little bit about it as we get into the procurement side of it. But for us, it was just like, you know, you when you are a small company, people have doubts, they have, you know, concerns, there's more risks, you know, you know, you've not been around for that long, you know, share the customers that you have, you can name them probably on on two hands. And so um, definitely for us, it was something that by adding this logo to our books, it was something that, you know, I think reputation wise, it definitely helped us and, and it opened other doors to just based on, on being able to secure them. Is there a notable difference in the way that you perhaps present or perhaps pitch from selling what is a particular, like I've looked through your LinkedIn and seen that you've worked for reputable brands that are like globally known and then you've worked for smaller startups and scale-ups. Can you tell a real difference in the way you pitch the product when you're talking to a customer from telling them about a product which they probably already know about to something that they probably never heard about? Yes. I mean, that's an obvious question, sorry, but I'm just interested to know for somebody who might be listening who's thinking I'm going to go and make a change and I want to sell to a product, that, uh, sell, sell to a customer doesn't know about our products is there anything that any advice you'd give there i would say that i have um and i've made my own life more difficult by you know those companies that i would have worked for jackie mentioned docusign when i worked for them they were not known so there was about 20 of us in europe in docusign at that stage when i was working there and um, i used to call up prospects and pitch them you know try to get and they'd be like Can you just fax me the docu the documents like that's not what we're trying to do here at DocuSign like I've no idea what you're talking about with an e-signature just fax me the document and I'll sign it <laughs> it's like it's not what we're trying to do um and so you know similarly with with other companies Pluralsight and the likes you know I was their first hire here in EMEA as we grew that out and and grew it you know, to 200 people in Dublin before I left, went through an IPO. But whenever I joined, it was always like, who are you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who you are. So I feel like I've never essentially been able to walk into, into conversations and they know exactly who, who you're calling from. Sometimes it has happened and we're, we're thankfully at that point now in times. And that's been one of the honestly most exciting things to go in to opportunities and they're like, yeah, I've heard of you guys before because most of the time it's just been that cold of like explaining yourself from the get-go. Um, but that sets you up for success so well because you you learn that from the beginning and you don't overlook uh, any kind of, you know, you've got to have that elevator pitch down and be able to deliver it at any point because you can't take for granted that they're going to know what you do or, or where you're from. What I'm now fascinated in is you have obviously an incredible ability to back a winning horse, like to be one of the first reps at DocuSign, who pretty much every sales rep on the planet now uses, to doing the same at Plural Site and now at Tynes. And all of them as well, Amory, is not like me and Jack saying and staying and backing a horse in sales tech. All of the three of them are in different industries. How have you done it? What advice would you give? We're going yeah. off on a tangent now. But. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, and I learned this early on with backing the wrong horse, but uh, people and product are so important in in your decision. So, um, you know, 
you work with certain people in your career you say you'd always work with them again and so I kind of get that vibe from people you know if I'm excited if I'm able to have an ongoing conversation if we're in an interview process and it goes in a completely different direction because we're excited and you can see their passion that's like you know green flags all day for me if the people are passionate and excited about what they're doing and people are really really important but without giving and you know I I say one of the main reasons I joined Tynes was having worked with Owen and Thomas before in, in DocuSign but without giving them a big ego, it wasn't just the people and um, because the product is so important. I have sold products before that I knew customers were going to churn in 12 months time. I knew there was flaws in it that, you know, people weren't excited about it when, when I picked up the phone. Uh, and that was a scenario of like they knew who we were for, for the wrong reasons. There's nothing more demoralizing than that and demotivating. And it's really hard to hit a number and be successful when you're selling something that you don't really believe in in yourself and so for me that's been my kind of guiding principle when when back in horses like is the product there like can you see the opportunity for it what are early customers saying about it what is the general opinion from customers and that's thankfully been something that's guided me well you know DocuSign you know, straight up those we're, we're millennials. We absolutely hate having to sign something and, you know, scan it. There's like, this makes so much sense. Like there's so much potential here for this product. Why aren't we all using it? And um, plural site as well. There was just so much, you know, it being niche in that industry was, was game changing and seeing their, what they were offering was really impressive. And then times I didn't come from a security background never saw security, cybersecurity tools before. They showed me times and I was just blown away. I was like, wait a minute, I can use this in my sales process. Like at its core, this is an automation platform that can connect to anything. So yeah, sure, you know, we can focus here in security, but if I can get a grasp on it, then I can absolutely sell this. Um, and at that stage, Owen and Thomas, you know, they they had founded the company, came from a security background and, um, had never worked in sales before, but had brought on two or three big logos. And that was a real signal for me. Like if they can close these deals, then I can definitely be successful here. That's great advice. And I know from my own relationship with you that you obviously a talented sales leader because you didn't hire 50 sales reps and then think that we should have bought some software to help them. Like you built, you built the processes and the software and then hired on top of that. Um, yeah. Um, that was super important is, you know, if you're going to bring people in, you've got to set them up for success, invest in the, in them. And yeah, I think, Jack, I don't know if you got any of the expansions. I hope you did, but we started small and, and grew quickly. No, didn't get any of the expansions. That's all good with me. Now I can reap the rewards and learn from you on the podcast. But, that's good <laughs> me. but anyway, let's get back on track because we just, Jack, going back to you, mate. My next question was going to be, so, so this is a question especially relevant for the because of the fact that you guys were such a small scale operation at the time how did the deal come about yeah so um we obviously had a list of like dream customers to work with there was probably maybe 10 on that but they were always going to be super long-term bets for us so what we really focused on was like an ideal customer profile of uh, customers that or accounts that had characteristics that knew, we knew we would be successful if we could get our foot in the door here and kind of had a, a, a main focus on that. And, and so directionally on you kind of 
which accounts I should start looking at and going after. Um, Financial services, fintech in particular, was one that we were seeing a lot of success in, and specifically fintech. You know, they were kind of early adopters of a lot of technologies. Security was super important there. And so I put a lot of emphasis on going after in the fintech space. This account in particular jumped out mainly because a new leader had come in. They were in the role about two or three months. um, And historically, I've always found when someone new comes in, they want, you know, to make some change. They want to, they've got, you know, that kind of uh, vision and strategy that they're looking to, to deploy versus someone who's maybe been there a couple of years and is, you know, happy with the way things are going. So reached out to this this um, account uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been a huge success for us and um, more so than probably in other companies that I'd been at. LinkedIn has really been our main kind of door opener for us. Sent a message, no response, sent another one and uh, got a pretty quick response to the second one being like, yeah, actually, this is uh, this is something that we're interested in. It's on our roadmap and booked a meeting from there. Mm-hmm. Let's say you've got, let's say me and Jack have just started at sales often we're the first two sales reps here. We don't have any real brand equity in the market at the moment and not many people. And perhaps even the product is new as well, which pretty much was the case when we joined actually Jack we were out there like trying to knock on doors to explain to people sales engagement like that kind of thing have you um just looking back to that now and with this one in mind have you got any advice on I'm thinking more I'm, I'm not going to put the trying to put the answer in your head here but like the whole slow down to speed up philosophy have you got any advice to somebody who's in that stage at the moment who's perhaps selling a big product in a new market to a new um addressable market have you got any advice on how where to start where to spend your energy at the start yeah I mean when I first started in times I I mean talk about opportunity I was the only rep my territory was global <laughs> any account in any country any size I can go after. I was like, that's going to be overwhelming. Yeah, like it's, always too, it's around, always too much, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to be running around like a headless chicken and actually not make any progress. And that's where we kind of um, stopped and looked back and said, okay, we don't have a ton of customers, but we have got some customers. Where have we been successful today? Where have we been unset- unsuccessful? And let's try and draw some correlation and understand of like, okay, why did we win in these accounts? And then from there, we crafted very early on um, our ICP. And since then, it's evolved. We've you know created a scoring model for internally that we kind of prioritize. We use automation for that too. We use our own tool. Um, but that was our guiding start. Like, let's narrow the focus down and just look at where we've been successful and try to replicate that going forward. Once you book the meeting with the new leader at, you know, this ICP business, talk to us about the process after that initial meeting. Yeah, so that meeting was almost like pinching ourselves to, <laughs> was that, did that really happen? And um, Because uh, that guy, he, you know, we started it out kind of trying to understand a little bit about his background, you know, what he was looking to achieve uh, with an automation platform and before we did our sales pitch he almost did our sales pitch for us so he had been in a previous large enterprise company using one of our competitor tools and absolutely hated it for all the reasons that our uh, co-founders went out and built times and um, you know and it was yeah. it was 
like amazing to just hear him explain all the pains and what he wanted to avoid this time around with the, with the deploying of this tool so when we went to to do our pitch and explain you know our vision and and why we're doing what we're doing it just aligned so so well that it was like that light bulb moment it was like right we're on to a winner here and he completely gets our vision this is the type of you know early adopter that we were looking for essentially and so we knew right away we had a, a champion in him and um, from there then it was very much of like you know he was new and wanted the wanted his team involved in the decision process too and that they needed to be happy with whatever tool they were going to select and so next up it was kind of like a demo to that team and again it was you know depths of covid zoom there's no in person going to happen uh, join that call ton of cameras turned off as the demo went on like engagement started to spike people were coming off, off video and again it was just like we came off that that uh, call absolutely buzzing being like yes like this is going so so well for us we've, we've got a winner here awesome that sounds amazing but as you shared with us before it's a roller coaster ride so that peak slowly becomes a trough and then goes back up again i've got a question that's actually interesting i was thinking when you were just talking there from starting like you know at a new company there's 10 20 people at times Presumably you haven't got your like sales process nailed down. Like it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this, it's this. And you have to be fairly, you know, adapt, uh, adapting it all the time. But I presume this new leader had to be the same as well. Like he's probably not bought software at his company. How did you coach him through that process? And, and how did he do the same for you? Yeah, so it was definitely something I think that we didn't spend enough time focused on and took some parts of it for granted, you know, ask the questions like, what does it look like, you know, to procure here? And it was, he was learning as he was going through this cycle as well. So, um, you know, initially we were like, you know, he, you know, he hates competitor solutions. <laughs> like, do we even have to do evaluations? Um, and that was one that came back and like, yeah, we, we have to go to market uh, and do other, other evaluations. I would say though, that as it came to that, he, he understood the rationale behind the business of doing that too. And also had a bit of like, you know, there was risk in in just going with times for him too. You know, his early company were based out in Dublin. They're in the US. Doesn't really know anybody that's using us thus far. So he was on board as well for doing the other evaluations. And um, the main thing though that that we overlooked was like, you know, when you make a decision, what happens? It's like oh, pass to procurement, work through some contracts and that's it done and um, that absolutely was not it <laughs> not it done uh, I think probably wanted to hear that that would be the the process sometimes in companies it can be that straightforward and um, but yeah it, it wasn't and I think we could have done a better job of like really pressure testing that and particularly when somebody's new and hasn't purchased before to to really just pressure test it and you know ask a lot more questions and, and try and get answers to them before you you get to that stage essentially and then you're finding out bit by bit as it goes before you tell us about how this one played out can you tell us in like perhaps in a parallel universe how you would have handled this procurement process knowing what you know now and, and being through this process with an experienced mindset yeah so i think you know we should have gone higher and um, we did get introduced to his boss and, and had conversations but it was very much around the 
the tool itself and the impact that that would have for the team. I think that was an opportunity that we missed of like, you know, this guy had been in the company for three or four years. He had done the sign off process. We should have leveraged him in, in more and sooner to get an understanding of what it takes to actually get a purchase through. We we stayed very much like product with him and the value that it was bringing to the business versus leveraging him to, to guide us through that process. And um, I think partners as well, we're very focused on working with partners in times. Partners have gone through the procurement <laughs> cycles time and times again. They know who to look out for. They know how it works. And we didn't leverage them at all uh, in the in the transaction process here with something that we do now early. We bring partners in and they're able to tell us exactly what we can expect. With, with the concept of going higher, have you got any idea of more tactical than than the, than the strategy behind it but how to get higher without perhaps burning bridges or stepping on toes or upsetting your current champion at your point of contact have you got anything that you would have done or that you could give advice to even me and jack to be honest about how to just get that access quicker without burning any of your existing well-built relationships yeah so i think with um with going higher i mean a champion's only a champion if they're going to bring you higher otherwise they're that coach and you need to keep looking for your champion uh, we were lucky in the sense that our champion did bring us higher here i just don't think we leveraged it as much as possible and um, you know i think now now that we're out and we can meet that's one of the things that we do a lot of is asking for on-site visits or in-persons or coming to our events and asking for that executive to come with them as well. Uh, we kind of find that if we get pushback on that, then again, it's it's question marks of like, are they a champion? How serious are they? And that's where it's an opportunity to really reassess and evaluate at that point. If you're not getting any higher in the opportunity, why not? One thing from other opportunities that I've I've learned the hard way is when you do get higher, don't forget to report back and keep your champion in the loop because uh, that has happened where, you know, we've got we've got the door opened at a higher level, maybe CEO to see staff as well. Um, and our champions have come back and we're like, why didn't why didn't nobody tell me that this conversation was happening? They kind of fell out of the loop. So I think it is super important when you do go up, don't forget about your champion at any point they need to be involved and know exactly what's happening it's a consistent theme isn't it jack throughout the podcast that we've had about how do how do we engage up but also keep the champion happy funnily you said actually Anne marie that a really good test for you is coming on site that's what david shared in the last podcast didn't he jack his number one thing to test if he you know if there's a real deal there and they're probably interested is will they let them will will they meet you in person will they come to your event Things open up so much from then as well. You can say like, "I need we need to get higher." Really, I need to get we need to get executive sponsorship. Are you going to give me access to that? Yes or no? You can find that quite quickly, face to face, can't you? You can also just build in the relationship as well. It's super hard on a thirty minute Zoom or a sixty minute Zoom. It's kind of all business. Uh, when you meet in person, it just opens that opportunity to to find out nuggets of information that you you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Totally agree. So let's go back to what actually happened out of this parallel universe where everything went smoothly. And can you give us a bit of an insight into how this procurement process what happened after the introduction? Yeah, so we started the evaluation. Um, three proofs of concepts needed to be run. Um, 
you know, looking back on that one, we definitely didn't define the what a successful POC looked like early enough on. We we ran into scope creep in a good way. You know, the 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 customer was absolutely loving dines and the scope just was growing because they were look at all that I can do and and you know use cases were getting deeper and there was use cases being added. On the other side for the competitors, they were super slow at getting deployed and getting stood up. We which pushed timelines, right? We hadn't qualified that well enough going in of like, are we going to run this for four weeks? And it's whatever you get done in four weeks is the end of the evaluation. Or are you going to, you know, sit sit this through until all use cases are built in all in all uh, three platforms? And unfortunately, it was the latter. And so we were we had built that was one of our advantages super quickly and, and got through it and showed the value. Competitors took weeks and weeks. And so the, the POC length went on longer than we had anticipated. We asked ourselves the questions of like, you know, we're done. Do we keep engaged and keep building because they're achieving so much more or like is this ever going to end it's just going on and on and on or do we withdraw at this point say yeah we're done come you know let's pick this up when you're finished with the others that was definitely something that you know we were uneasy about making that call because it's the fear of like you're leaving them in a competitor (laughs) solution and also the fear of like, this is just going on and on and on. And um, so that was definitely a learning for us of like scope creep and just really define going into it. You know, when are we going to wrap up a POC? Is it on completion of all three tools? Is it on a timeline, et cetera? Um, but eventually, anyway, we got there and we got the, the POC wrapped up, um, which then it was over to them. They had to do their own internal evaluation and kind of a a debate process. They took the the results of all proofs of concepts. They went higher up with that, presented their results. And that was the waiting game for us, just sitting there kind of like any update, uh, what about now? Felt like it was never going to come back to us. And eventually got an email to say the evaluation period was complete and procurement would be in touch. I still remember that email of being like, what does that mean? Like, did we win? <laughs> like, just just spell it out. Like, were we the chosen one? And did so then, yeah, call call them up on the Sly app. It's like, please clarify, were we this the chosen vendor there? Um, and we were. So we then started engaging with procurement. It was a, a team at that point, and like our contract was red there's no point in saying there was red lines it was red the whole way through and we didn't have an internal legal team at that stage so it was myself and the founders going through a lot of the the red lines being like how comfortable do you feel accepting this tick tick (laughs) tick it'll be fine yeah Yeah, there was yeah i'd get that back and be like looks good to me yeah, yeah, you can't be church and state. You can't be sales and legal, otherwise you'll never. Yeah, yeah it's quite a bit, it's quite a, like a contrasting two things. Yeah. I'll get red lines back and like, yeah, whatever they want. Just I'm get sure they <laughs> Founders were a little less comfortable when it's their name and they're responsible for all of these. So we worked through as much of it as we could, but we had to bring in external legal uh, support. Uh, to, to work through that also slowed us down right you're working with a legal team who don't really know your product and, and what you do so we I was simultaneously educating an external legal counsel and, and trying to work through that the vendor onboarding documents like 
the information that they were requesting, the security uh, packs that they needed. It was just an absolute beast to get through. And um, took a long time. I'd say we were probably about 95% of the way there when we were introduced to a new person in procurement who'd be taking over the process. And I should say that throughout this process, we had submitted our, you know, our costings for it, never got any pushback. So it was kind of like, right, maybe, maybe there's not going to be any pushback on price. You know, we've, we've been working through everything else. Um, and yeah, just as we wrapped up the heavy red lines, we got introduced to a new point of contact in the procurement team. He essentially came back and they took a while to even respond. I think that was part of the, the tactic, but sent an email in just being like, okay, we've reviewed um, and they had slashed the price. So they said, we can't sign for this. This is as much budget as we have. We also want and had like way uh, higher expectations on like capacities in, in, in our quote, what they wanted. So they essentially wanted a lot more for a lot less and, um, and it was just like that gut wrench, like, what? <laughs> like, we've spent probably six months here, six to nine months getting to this point, and now we're here. Um, and that was, yeah, really, really tough to to get there. Um, we pushed back as much as possible, and then that's where the other competitors and really the strategy behind having those other evaluations came in. Like, we've got two other proposals here, like, your move next, essentially. Um, I'm yeah. sorry to anybody from procurement that's listening to this, but I just hate it. I hate it. It's, it's like it's just so hard. To you know, it was funny actually. Jack, I, was, about I, was, it. I was at an event on Saturday, sat down with on a on a bench, and was speaking to a lady, and her mum was there, and she's like, "Yeah, like I'm an SDR coach." It was like, "Oh, hey, nice to meet you. What did your mum do? She's in procurement." People booed. Three sales went from boo. It's a funny relationship, isn't it? What I was going to ask as well, like Amory, from this sort of like, I'm going to use your phrase, the octagon of death of procurement process you went through. What lessons did you learn from this one that you go and coach your team? Like what questions do you ask? How do you prepare? I think so it went back to like, you know, this shouldn't have been a surprise. We were kind of like, blinkers on being like they're not going to ask they're not going to ask it's all going to go swimmingly and um, and that's where we we overlooked like the the person that we were dealing with they had no idea they were completely out of the loop so I think we should have had better expectations on on the whole process than that and um, I think though what came from it you know we another one that really kind of again because the the evaluation had been going so well we didn't do a great job of like documenting ROI and documenting all the successes because it was fresh it, you know the team was was telling it to us when this goes across to someone's desk who's not been part of any of that and they're just like I have three solutions like I'm going for the cheapest essentially and we didn't we needed to do a better job of equipping people internally to tell that story and even for ourselves to tell new people to the project like these are the results you can go with a cheaper solution but you know you're it's going to be money down the drain um, and that's something that we've applied ever since of like doing a really strong business case so that essentially anybody at any stage in the company can pick it up and understand exactly you know, the value that they're getting from this tool. We felt our pricing was transparent based on that value. You know, they were getting really good ROI, but we needed to do a good job of telling that story. So we did a bit of working back uh, to get to that 
to that, get to that stage. But I think going forward, it's something that, you know, we encourage all the reps have a solid, your champion can leave, anybody can leave, like be able to be in a position that you can tell exactly at any point the value that your tool is bringing. I feel like that as a benchmark to aim for is say, like imagine that your main point of contact is going to leave at any moment. Are you prepared to be able to relay all the information to someone else and still feel confident that this deal is going to go through? The answer to all of my part would be no. Yeah, I was <laughs> thinking that, that and I was like, God, Jack, that's a terrifying point. <laughs> so true. Um, but that's such happens. a robust it's, way. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. Expect expect the unexpected and be able to know that if if your champion leaves, you can hand it off and the project's not going to be dead. Yeah. I, I remember even as an enterprise SDR itself, selling to one of the best well-known telcos in the world. And we multi-threaded so hard. I was still like booking meetings across the whole account. And then just out of nowhere, this random person with the most wishy-washy title, we got told, oh yeah, that's the guy that makes the decision. And the guy, we just got an email being like, yeah, thanks for taking all the time to speak to everyone. We're not buying sales law. We were just like someone random out of nowhere that we'd never spoken to. Wishy-washy title has all the power and just canned it without even with one email. Pretty yeah. compelling story that they can't do that essentially. And that would be the greatest learning that I got from it. Well, um, I've really like, we've, like, this has been perhaps the most insightful episode we've had for a long time and I've just realized what time it is we're almost running out we've got a few questions we usually wrap up it but we haven't even heard really how the deal closed so I'm going to try and wrap them up into into one question can you tell us what your what your favorite memory from this deal was I'm hoping it's something to do with the end of when it's signed but is there anything in particular like your favorite sales memory from this deal in particular that you can relate yeah, I suppose there was two, one at the beginning and one at the end. So the one at the beginning was the light bulb moment that when the cameras start turning on and people were getting excited and could see all the different things that they could do with the tool and you just knew you were onto a winner here. That was that was brilliant. And then at the end, so to to cut to how the, the story ended, you know, we went back and forth for a while and there was no way that we were going to, you know, cut our price essentially in, in half. Uh, you know, there was no value in that for us. And so um, went back to our champion. Our champion was very much like we're out of the process, like we we don't get involved here. Um, and so at that point, then we went back to procurement and decided, like, let's put our cards on the table, explained exactly why our, why our pricing was the way it was, the value that our solution brings. And you've got competitor options on the table the team did not choose them they they were unable to deploy with those tools you can of course go for those but at this point we're going to withdraw from the process because we cannot agree to that pricing and left the silence it was like whoever speaks next loses (laughs) loses left the silence it felt like an eternity Uh, eventually the procurement person spoke and was like okay and understand that i think it was the first time we felt a little bit of uh, compassion and respect from them starting to come across the table ended the call went to our champion and told them the exact same said at this point we're going to unfortunately have to withdraw we can't we can't uh, do it which struck panic and um, we got a meeting with their boss and our ceo to talk through our company and um, our roadmap what we do and went back and we were able to get 
get a deal done. Essentially, they folded. Um, it was tactics completely <laughs> on their end to try and take advantage of a startup that, you know, they thought we we needed them more than they needed us, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I mean, going back to what we were saying at the beginning, what came from this deal, it was confidence. It was like, we can hold our ground. We are giving value out there at the current price that we were doing it at. Um, that customer went on to, they, you know, were one of our, our strongest customers to date. They were the first customer on our customer advisory board, which came from uh, the impact of, of that deal too. And so just winning that was just like huge for us. Of like we were prepared to walk and uh, thankfully it worked out in the end. There was some concessions. We didn't get the three year. They weren't a referenceable customer for us, but um we we got a deal that we were happy with and yeah they essentially called the bluff your poor anxiety we, even like more in the more sadistic sales way it makes it even more fun when it comes in the way you've like given it up and it comes in you whatever gone and i hopefully went on a nice holiday slipped from many quarters uh again going back there was no holiday we were locked in so it was just constantly checking your phone in your house <laughs> you can't go anywhere um, but yeah, we celebrated that one when we eventually could. Nice. Awesome. I don't even think we need to ask the last question about what skill makes you great. I think we could spend probably an hour talking to Anne-Marie about how many different sales skills make her great. Um, but thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed that. You're clearly a very talented sales rep and sales leader. So thanks for your time. It was uh, really great to talk to you guys, bringing up all the trauma from it. <laughs> but uh... Some good memories there too. We'll uh, we'll send you a PDSD t-shirt, post-deal stress disorder, uh, along with your swag box. So we're going to introduce uh, for, for our future guests. The swag starts now.